My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Laquita Munley. She is the CEO and founder of Laquita's Toolbox podcast. Laquita is a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, and minister who believes the foundation of personal development and business growth rests in possessing the right mindset. She is a sought-out keynote speaker in the United States and abroad. She's a transformational coach. She's part of the John Maxwell team. Leaders and entrepreneurs alike tune into her live broadcast, Laquita's Toolbox Live, as well as her podcast, Laquita's Toolbox, for inspiration and implementable action steps to realize their full potential. And I just want to say thank you so much, Laquita, for, for coming on, uh, joining me this evening to, to talk about leadership and just really, I don't know, discuss what you're passionate about and maybe some of your influences. It is really good to be here, Dave. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Looking forward to this conversation um, about about leadership and just um, for me the importance of building great leaders um, because our future depends on it. Like whether it in general, whether we're leaders in our homes and our communities, I, I believe that every human on the face of the planet is a leader in some capacity. Uh, we just have to develop and train the leader that's on the inside of each person. And, so, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. Let's start off in the beginning for you. So uh, where were you born and raised and what was life like growing up? So I was born and raised in a small town, Mississippi, a little town called Macomb, Mississippi. It's about an hour and a half south of Jackson on Interstate 55. Most people have not heard of it unless you paid a little bit of attention on your way between Jackson and New Orleans because you pass right by <laughs> the exit to Macomb. But life growing up, you know, as an adult looking back at it, life growing up in small town, Mississippi was pretty okay. Now, as a young person, I just had visions of getting out <laughs> and like and see the world. It had to be something more. But uh, now as a grandparent and, and as a parent, uh, those small town, those small town values and small town family is something to be valued. And, and that's what I had growing up with my neighbors uh, and actual family members, you know, in, in small towns, you don't really realize that your cousin isn't your cousin until you're an adult because the families have been that close for so long, everybody's family. And that's what it was like for me growing up. Uh, my grandparents, both my mom's parents, my, my, my paternal and maternal grandparents we literally all live right there together because my parents met each other in the neighborhood. So growing up, I had everybody that I needed, aunts, uncles, cousins, and it was a blast. So um, for me, my childhood played a really big part in 
building the foundation of who I will become as an adult, my value system, my faith system, um, and even some of the things uh, that I will come to do later in life. Uh, those small town Mississippi values ended up being really big cornerstones to who I am. And who would you say your biggest influence in your in your young life would be? Because that really, I think, kind of sets the stage for your mindset moving forward with those early influences. It, it does. It does. And I, and I would say one of my biggest influences uh, growing up as a kid was my Sunday school teacher. One of my Sunday school teachers, I just, to me, she was a, like the prettiest, one of the prettiest ladies I'd ever met, but like in a classy way. His name is Miss Barbara Mac Morris. And she was a, a elementary, edu elementary school educator. She taught school um, in the neighboring county or in the neighboring city, rather. She's taught school in the neighboring city. But just as, you know, as this little girl, you're looking like, dang, she's pretty. She's smart. She sounds great. And, you know, her family is awesome. You know, looking at my family, it's like, okay, you take for granted what's happening in your own family with my mom and my dad. And it's like, you know, my, that's my mom. But if it's somebody I want to be like when I grow up or have a career, you know, Miss McMarsh is pretty awesome. So I, I, I always watched her as a young person. Um, and she she played a really big um, role in my thoughts. And my aunt, uh, my uncle's wife, uh, she played a, had a lot of influence um, in my life as well. And my mom's oldest sister, uh, those three women, um, outside of, of course, my parents and my grandparents, but those three women played a major role in influencing who I am today as a woman. Could you give me a, a sense of maybe, I don't know, a story that kind of gives a sense of their impact on you. So uh, I met my husband when I was 15, right? And this story has to deal with actually all three women, but <laughs> met my husband as 15 and, you know, like most googly-eyed teenagers, I'm in love, right? Well, prior to meeting him every year, our church, our would attend the regional Sunday school conventions for the Southwest region, right? And we would go off to different, different states that were a part of this regional convention. Well, of course, the year that I met my husband, I was no longer interested in going away for the summer to the Sunday school convention. <laughs> but guess what? I had to go anyway. My grandma's like, nope, you're going. I moped the entire time that I was there because they had just ruined my life and my relationship was going to be over. And Miss Mac Morris was the chaperone for that trip. And she noticed my despair. But instead of telling me how foolish I was, she actually sat and talked to me and tried to help me reason through those feelings as this uber emotional teenage girl, right? And I'll never forget that because up until that moment, everybody else was just very dismissive of my teenage fit. She, in her mind now, being the person that chaperones, I absolutely am rolling my eyes in private at the teenage fits that the young girls are having. But she took that time with me and helped me reason through it and see through it and even got me like this phone card so that I could actually call him and talk to him because that was way before the days of cell phones and free long distance so I could have that moment to talk to him 
Um, and I, re I remember one night I was asleep and she thought I was asleep. I was actually just laying there with my eyes closed, facing the wall. She had no idea why. And she was on, the, I don't know who she was on the phone with, but I came up in the topic of conversation and nothing that she said about what I was experiencing in that moment was negative. It was all very understanding. And where I already really liked her, I really liked her and appreciated her in that moment um, from that experience. And I had that same experience, I can say, with my aunt as well, um, with both of my aunts. They wouldn't just be dismissive of my teenage antics. <laughs> they would sit down, talk to me, try to reason with me and not force me to do it. Even though they were telling me what was happening, it was a conversation instead of do this, do this, do this. It was a conversation. And that made a massive difference to me. Now, well, let's talk about, about your husband. So you mentioned him earlier uh, before we started recording. He was a senior you were mm -hmm. a freshman. Um, and then also you said that he joined the army. Did he, he did. Join, did he join the army right out of high school? He did not join the army right out of high school. Um, he was uh, going to school. He ended up joining the army because we became teenage parents. Okay. So at that point, it was, you know, we're from a really traditional background both of our families and there wouldn't have been a need for my dad to have the proverbial shotgun wedding because my father-in-law was livid <laughs> that was weird all in itself like not that my dad wasn't but my husband's father was like it was amazing you know looking back on it my dad often laughs it's like i didn't even have a chance to get after him his dad was too busy getting after him for that um so my husband ended up uh picking the army so that he could then take care of his now family um and at that point um our families did want us to get married i didn't like I couldn't have handled that pressure at that moment. I was like, I can't get married. I'm still processing the fact that I'm pregnant. Like that wasn't a part of our plan. Like, were we planning to be together? Absolutely. Were we planning to be parents? Not at all. It happened. And now you guys are freaking me out with all of this. And, and I'm having this emotional meltdown because literally again, my whole world is coming to an end in my mind. And my husband is like this solid rock. It wouldn't until many years later that I realized he was having an emotional meltdown as well. But because I was so active in mine, he didn't express his, at least not to me. To me, he was the solid rock the entire time. And I couldn't figure out why you're not upset about any of this. Like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? I mean, he's got this plastered on grin and excited about being a dad and you know, uh, being, getting married. And then I'm like, I don't want to marry you. I'm in high school. <laughs> Needless to say, that was a blow to his self-esteem. But at that moment, I'm a kid. I'm not thinking I'm a kid that's about to have a kid. And you talking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so we made it through. <laughs> and I can't say it was all because of me he uh played a really big role in us 
being uh, where we are today. Um, he is, uh, Ben has always had this amazing sense of duty and responsibility. And again, I, I have to attribute it to the way that we were raised and the families, the strong family values that we came out of. Now, were, was our family happy that we had become teenage parents? Absolutely not. But I can say where our story is different from some stories coming out of the 90s with teenage pregnancy, our, our families in, together came together. Okay, this is the problem. They created it. How are we going to work together to fix this? And because they came together and didn't disregard us and didn't um, demean us, any of those things. It was like, no, you're about to adult. Like they were very clear. We were about to adult because we made an adult decision that had an adult consequence. But they also let us know that they were going to be right there with us while we were adulting um, and getting through it. And it wasn't going to be easy. We had a lot of hard work to do now that we made that decision. And so uh, our families, uh, my husband, eventually I did get myself together. So I, I was able to, um, you know, to start to grow as a, as a person, grow as a woman. I'm a mom now. So, yeah. It, it, it's funny, as you were talking, it, there's just, so many awesome leadership lessons in that story right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how how yeah. your parents came together and you know, said, well, here you go. We'll be right there with you. Um, you're not going to fail. I'm not going to let you. You're going to screw up. Oh, yeah. And you're going to pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, you know, imagine you know an old school sitcom out of the 60s or 70s and the family is coming over for dinner you know after church that's kind of how that situation went down everybody came over after church had dinner at my grandmother's house and they're discussing we're discussing out this issue and me and my husband are kind of just sitting there like okay this is happening but those are how um those are how the family came together over the years uh, to work through it. And even in, there was an instance where um, my husband's old, uh, older sister was like, you know what, you guys shouldn't have to give up your dream of college right now. If you guys want to continue on in college, I will take the baby so that you can go and finish your degree and do the things that you need to do so that you can be better financially prepared for the responsibility of parenting. Like our families really came together in a way that was even surprising to us, but not to take away the responsibility. There's a time like, you know, my son would need medication or things like that. And back in those times at the local pharmacy, then we're small town America. You have an account. So my grand, my parents had accounts, my grandparents, so did my husband's dad. So for my husband's dad, everything that financially had to happen for my father-in-law, that meant my husband had to do everything that I should have had to do. That, that's his responsibility. And I remember one time I, our son needed some medication. So my father-in-law had allowed my husband to go and get that medication on his account. And so when my husband got paid, my father-in-law gave him a bill. Here's your kid's bill. 
And I'm sitting there looking like, did he just give him a bill? Is he serious? <laughs> and the answer was, absolutely. He gave him that bill and my husband had to pay that bill. It's like, you know, we're the grandparents and we love our grandson. He was the first grandson. My son is so spoiled. He's the first grandson. Yes, he's, they're going to do what they have to do, but that does not mean it doesn't come with a bill. <laughs> like teaching us what we needed, the practical life lessons to adults successfully once he did make it to his first duty station. Had, we did not like those lessons going through that. We thought it was the most unfair thing imaginable at that point. But when we got to adulting without them, they were 500 miles away. We were in Texas. They were in Mississippi. Oh, it started to make sense. It was kind of like that whole Daniel and Mr. Miyagi situation. Oh, okay. That's why you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take your sister-in-law up on that? Did you, were you guys able to go and, and finish your we, degrees? We, I decided not to. I decided not to. My husband at that time left the decision to me. And I decided not to. It's, you know, if I'm going to go through and carry this baby to term, and at that point, everything that I had been told, labor was going to be one of the most horrible things I've ever experienced, and they did not lie, you know, <laughs> giving life is beautiful the pain isn't i if i'm going to do all of this then and he's partnering with me we had to just at that point believe god that everything was going to be okay and that their support was still there it was scary it was really scary um but no we did not and i appreciate her i love her for that um just to know that we have that safety net if we needed it was awesome so the next step, your your husband joins the army, and I'm, I'm guessing you guys moved away. Uh, we, we moved to Fort Hood, Texas. After, so he joined the army because, again, he was a senior when we met, and I was a freshman. So um, by this time that uh, I became pregnant, I was in my junior year. So he joined the army, went away, went into the reserves when it was time for me to graduate um, and to have the baby, he then went and signed his active duty contract so that we could go away together as a family. So in um, July of 1996, we were packed up our things and not, we didn't move to Beverly, we moved to Fort Hood, Texas. And, <laughs> and he had, it was funny because at that moment, it wasn't funny, it was kind of exciting. He had, uh, he loves old car, old cars. He loves muscle cars. And at that time he had a 19, I want to say 93, 94, I forget. It was a 90 something model, uh, Pontiac Firebird with T-tops, black with chrome wheels, like every country boy's dream car. And here we are packed up in this thing with a kid in a car seat and the few things that could fit in it. And we're heading across the highway, heading across country to Texas, to his first duty station, having absolutely no idea what we're doing, but we're doing it with a smile. <laughs> we did it with a smile, but so many lessons, so many lessons. One of the, when, one of the things that I learned um, in certification 
for John Maxwell team. During that time away, I had a lot of time to think while we were at that certification event. And I realized how much becoming a teenage mom, being married by the time I was 18, um, living life as a military spouse for 24 years, how much that shaped me into the leader that I am to where when I was going through the course curriculum to get the certification, those things that I was taught, it was more reinforcement for the lessons that I'd already learned practically, just living my life, the life that I was given, like living the life that I was given shaped me and enabled me to become uh, and be successful as a John Maxwell um, certified coach and speaker. I'm guessing there were times in, in his career, in your marriage, where he had to go off. I mean, this is absolutely he, he served during, uh, you know, well, after 9-11 and mm -hmm. every, everybody went. Everybody went, you know, he came in and most people, if they're not military, they don't realize how we're still a lot of places that we've always been. I'll say it like that. <laughs> you know, regular Americans don't realize that. So when he came in in the 90s, uh, Desert Storm was over, but Desert Storm wasn't over. Kuwait was still very much a rapid deployment. And he came into Fort Hood, into First Calf. And for Army, you know, that's rapid deployment. We, so the, the rotations in and out of Kuwait were still happening in the early 90s. And then you get to 9-11. Um, and from 2002 to 2009, we were stationed on Fort Hood. Every other year, he went to Iraq because that initial invasion of Baghdad um, that happened in uh, 03, my husband was there for that initial invasion because he was what? He was fourth ID. And every other year after that, and even though he was in the country, he was still training. So he wasn't at home. He was just somewhere in America, still training. And so absolutely, we went three deployments to our, um, Iraq, Kuwait, um, Afghanistan, Turkey, just um, the he was a part of some of the units that was doing, and most people forget about Bosnia and Kosovo. That's a thing. It happened. <laughs> we don't like to talk about it, but Absolutely. And so our family did get to experience multiple deployments, multiple field ops, multiple training exercises. Um, and in all of that, you absolutely have to be emotionally mature. Um, so one of the things we talked about was emotional intelligence. We had to learn that. We had to learn effective communication, um, not, just, uh, not just him with his his peers and his soldiers or me with my peers and the other spouses that I would uh, meet along the way before our family, for our marriage. So many things that we had to learn in order to keep our family healthy, whole. Um, you, it was either you learn it so you can thrive and grow or you didn't learn it and you crashed and burned. And you would do that over and over and over and over again. So we chose the road less traveled. We learned and we thrived and we grew. Now, challenges happened. There was a lot of stuff that happened, <laughs> but growth opportunities. <laughs> we saw them as growth opportunities. Well, so 
I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with, with veterans, combat veterans, you know, men and women in, that have served over in the Middle East. But one community that I haven't really had very many conversations with, absolutely zero on this podcast, is the, the families of those veterans. And mm-hmm. I mean, good God, like, I, I couldn't imagine having my loved one over in a combat zone. And, you know, we're in a, in a different age now where communication is more uh, frequent than before, where you're waiting on a letter. Mm-hmm. But, but still, it's not like he's at the fort or on some training exercise. Right. Right. So I mean, I'm I'm curious because so he was he was uh, a senior enlisted guy, correct? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're when when they're overseas, you're a leader of other spouses. Yes. Yes. And I, I'm really curious as to you know how how you operated, what were some of the lessons that you learned early on, you know, taking on that role? Because, man, I don't know, is, is there a manual for that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, the military has a manual for everything. The question is, how effective is the manual? But <laughs> <laughs> I think that, and that's at every branch, everybody got a manual for, you know, yeah. tie your shoes like this, right? Every Everybody has a manual. Well, I, I said that because I was like, <laughs> I, I was about to say, you know, and there's no manual for that, but I mean, they might have one. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's manuals for everything, but I don't care what's in the manual. It can't prepare you for real life things. And one of the the scariest moments in my life have been when he was deployed and really no matter how well they might try to prepare you nothing can prepare you for that and you're just thrust into it and it's you sink or you swim and your ability to swim is directly related for me as a believer it was directly related to one my faith and two those I surrounded myself with um like I said, my husband, you know, he went to Korea. That was in the days of letter writing because that was still in the 90s. But it was not like saying, oh my God, I'm going to war and somebody is on purpose trying to kill him. Like on purpose, that is their mission every day, all day is to kill him. Yeah, let me not think about that every day, you know, but try as you might, it's amplified everywhere on all forms of media. That was the conversation, you know, um, I, I, I love, I, I love being American and I love my freedom of speech and the freedom of the press, but there are many things in many situations where I feel like the press did more harm than good speaking from a spouse perspective. And also, I just really don't want you telling what my husband is every minute of every day, because don't you know, somebody's trying to kill him. But for us back that 
amplified the anxiety that was already happening because spouses and family members around the globe were glued to their TVs, getting this continual play over and over again of who'd been bombed, who'd been blown up by IEDs, you know, who was a POW. And I just had to, you know, like turn that off turn it off and it's as hard as, as it is to turn it off that was one of the key things the other key thing that helped me make it and that allowed me um to be able to be effective within the frg groups that was our that i was a part of and within um as a leader of my uh of the women that my husband was uh senior non-com over there uh, over their husbands because if my head was clouded then how can I think rationally you know and, and in terms of the communication with him we maximized every form of communication that we had text mail um, when he was able to finally get a cell phone but at that point it's like you're glued to your house because you don't want to miss that call because they only get one call on the sat phone for a certain amount of time and whether he gets me or not, he still only has that amount of time. So you're glued to your, your house because you don't want to miss that call. Um, you're emailing as much as you can. And you're maximizing that time. And so, again, mine goes back to my faith system. At that point, I chose to dive into and become extremely involved in the activities at my church to give me and my children something else to do, something else positive, and to be around people who were speaking positive things. Whether we were, you know, putting together boxes to send to the service members. And I would encourage uh, the spouses to do the same. You don't have to come to my church. And if you don't believe, that's fine, but you need to find an organization that you can be a part of that's continuously speaking positive things and not always commentating and amplifying the negative. One of the scariest moments of my life uh, during that, that first um, deployment, me and my husband were on the phone and my husband, we were stationed, we were here at Fort Hood. And so you hear, you know, them in the training area all the time. Boom, 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 boom. I know what it sounds like. It's not scary to me. Sometimes it's going on. I don't even hear it because it's that common. So I knew what incoming sounds like. I've heard it year after year after year. And it was getting louder and louder and louder. And I know that meant it was getting closer and closer and closer. And we were talking about, I was like, oh my God, um, that sounds like it's getting close. And he, he says, it is. I'm going to have to go in a set and then the line cut. I died for just a second. Like, are you? Are you kidding me? Did, did he just die on this phone with me? And you don't know, because at that point, nobody's going to confirm or deny what happened because they don't have all the facts yet. So the fact that I had was, I'm on the phone, I heard the rounds coming in, and then the line cut. Oh my God. So all I could do at that point He's the NCOIC, the OIC. I called her, her I called her, um, his spouse. I called her. She wasn't aware yet because she wasn't on the phone with him. 
we can only have that conversation with each other and, and, and wait and see if that time, if the commander's wife was going to, what alerts were going to go out on the alert roster and the key spouses, okay, we're, we made aware that this happened, but they don't have any information. You got to wait on rear D to release what can be released into who it can be released to. So you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Praise God, he was not hurt. He did not uh, die. There were casualties that came out of that situation. Um, it wasn't him. And he was able to get somewhere once communications got back up and shoot me a quick email that says, you know, hey, I'm alive, I'm okay. I'll let you know more when I can and what I can. But that was the roughest three days of my life. Like, what do I tell my children? What do I tell my parents? What do I tell, you know, my mother-in-law? Like so many things. It's like, my God, what am I going to do? You're terrified, but at every knock at the door. And you're looking to see who's out there. And then you're counting. Is it two people out there? Is it three people out there? Because at this point, you know, if two people come, he's hurt, but he's going to make it. Or is he captured and they don't know where he is? If it's three people, he's not here anymore. You know, you spend however many months that they're gone dreading the knock on the door. And it's like, and especially if it's two people and one of them, you know them. I mean, you're going through that process and they're getting ready to deploy and they're picking who they want to inform their family member. Mm, you know, when, when we were at the VA, uh, his first VA appointment after he retired, I said it as a joke, but I really mean it. It's like, um, spouses should get some type of PTSD compensation because we have it just by going through these things. And he did that three times to Iraq, one time to Afghanistan, um, Turkey. And I know it, in the pre-show, you mentioned that <clears throat> um, your wife was a combat medic. My God. It's some MOSs that there should just be a special fund for them. And that's one of them. Truck drivers. I mean, people don't think about it, but truck drivers went every six months. Every six months. And they spent the entire time outside the wire. The spouses. Some of my good friends were 88 mics. In the Army, that's what they call a truck driver. And every six months she knew her husband just might not make it back because he was running a supply line. I mean, it's spouses don't get enough attention. We don't get enough of the time to tell our story. Um, and most of the stories that are told are the negative. I mean, some spouses do some stupid stuff, guaranteed, granted. They do some unnecessary things. But by and large, the weight that you carry, because I still got to make homework, I've got to do the best I can to keep it together for these children that I'm raising. Life is still happening. And then because of the separation and the level of anxiety and pressure that the service members are under trying to stay alive, keep the mission going, the dumb stuff that's happening while you're downrange, that's unnecessary. And generally the person that they can express that anger and emotion and frustration with is the spouse. And it doesn't always come out the right way. 
and we're just over here trying to make it <clears throat> and hope that you don't die and there's nothing I can do in that it's 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 a, it it was interesting to say the least um very stressful but you manage it again for us I'm I was able to manage it through my faith and sharing that faith and keeping my children um surrounded by people of like faith so that 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 negativity was not constantly around them it wasn't that I wanted my children to live a lie I just wanted my children to be children and not children that was super stressed because they're hearing all of this information and being afraid that their dad might die and might not come home so every moment that he had to call, to text, to email, um, even though, you know, it's not necessary for snail mail, he made sure that he wrote individual letters to each kid, to each one of our children, so that they could get special mail from dad, individual emails, so they can get special emails, special, you know, phone calls, just whatever we could to keep the kid, to keep our kids encouraged, to keep them feeling like they were connected with that, even though he was there. And we had to be able to do the same thing with each other. And that's some things that we shared and tried to teach um, my husband for the soldiers downrange with me for the spouses that were here. And just, you know, you do the best you can with what you have. I can't imagine. Like, that's a whole other level of grit that, you know, unless you've walked in those shoes, I don't think you could really understand it. Like you I can, can't. I can imagine it, but I just Yeah, I mean, it was like so <clears throat> in one of um the counseling sessions, therapy sessions my husband was in, even the service members don't fully realize it sometimes. Um but this session that the the counselor had asked him to bring me in because uh, they were dealing with the night terrors and the PTSD and all of that. And there were some things that he possibly cannot know that he's doing because he's asleep. I wasn't asleep. I don't know what happened, but I know the things that happened were horrible. The screams, the sweats, the trembling, the I can't wake him up, but it is something terrible happening in his mind that he's reliving because of what he's doing in his sleep. You know, being woken up because you're fighting or he's running and the sheets are moving, you know. And so I'm up all night because you're not resting but that what you're going through is horrible. So he's tired and frustrated when he gets up because he doesn't, you know, I'm tired and frustrated because I haven't been to sleep. And there's just, you know, the, there's things. And again, he doesn't realize he's doing it. But as the spouses, we absolutely realize, even though you don't want to tell us because you don't want to scare us, but you're scaring me because I'm watching this happen to you and there's nothing I can do about it. But I, and I would, you know, you can't even say, okay, I'm gonna hug you and hold you. I mean, my husband's a big guy. I don't want to get hit. And he doesn't mean it. Cause I mean, he's, he's fighting with everything in him. 
you know, he's a five foot, he's five, nine, you know, two plus. I, I don't want to get hit by that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to get hit by that. He'd be extremely sorry for it, but you know, you just step back out of the way. <laughs> I made that mistake the first couple of times, you know, I tried to grab him and hold him and it's like, like sling me like a rag doll. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, different, different things like that. Only another spouse that has had to live through it can really understand it. And it wasn't until those sessions that my husband even began to understand it. Cause there's a lot of things that happen when, when individuals have PTSD, that even when they're awake, they don't realize that they're doing it. You know, when he first came back from that first deployment, he had us in a perimeter. He doesn't realize he did it. I did after a little, like after about the third or fourth day. And I'm like, he's not okay. Like he is mapped out this perfect square and the kids can't go out of this square and I can't go out of this square. But he was still, his body was in Texas, but his, the rest of his being was still in the combat zone. You know, you do the best you can with what you have. You, you educate yourself on the signs, the symptoms and how to be of help. You get the counseling. Uh, you go for us, and we were very fortunate that our senior pastors are Desert Storm vets. So being able to speak to them about certain things was easy because both, um, uh, both Pastor Danielle and um, Bishop Grace served during those times. And they had a better understanding. And so that was really helpful to us. Um, for me, being able to have that uh, with Pastor Danielle, yes, she was a service member, she was also the spouse of a husband who did special ops. So having that conversation with her helped me to develop as a person, as a woman of God, as a leader of other women. Um, you have to be connected with the right people in order to grow in leadership, to, in order to grow as a human so that I could become a more effective leader. You have to be connected with the right people. And she is one of those key people in my adult life that the Lord positioned at just the right time. We became members of uh, New Zion Christian Fellowship in 2002. And my husband deployed in 2003. And we were members that entire time we were here from 02 to 09. And that was very, very, uh, very significant for us um, in keeping our sanity, keeping our marriage, you know, keeping our children together, being connected with the right people is very important. I have, you know, I've had this appreciation for the, the families of, of the combat vets, knowing that they went through a special kind of trauma during those deployments, but I've never had anybody walk me through it like you just did. And I know it sounds cliche, but really it's by the grace of God. It wasn't, I can't say that I was just that super smart and freaking fabulous. I wasn't, I was taking it one moment at a time, one day at a time, constantly, you know, constantly praying and, and, 
and just asking questions, you know, to the people who I thought could help me. Uh, and just refusing to give up, like, I, you know, just, just, you know, there, it's times you want to throw in the towel, but just refusing to give up. It's like, you know, my husband meant that much to me. My children meant that much to me. He was making that decision to keep re-upping when a lot of people were saying, okay, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna go and be a contractor and make all of this money. You know, he, he sat down and figured it out and did the math. And because we have five kids and what health and good health insurance and life insurance and all of these things that you need to take care of a family would cost, it wouldn't equal out. So he could have gotten out and taken the easier road with the money. He made that conscious decision to stay in and allow himself to go through those things to provide for me and the children, looking at our future and that, you know, if he can make it through this for these times in retirement, it would be so much better for us as a family and, and for our children. And then I can get the contract job and, you know, I can be lazy and, and you know, just whatever. So if he's willing to do that, then I have to be the best version of me to support him in that because he didn't have to make that decision. He never had to join in the beginning and he definitely didn't have to make that decision every time it was time to re-enlist um, in order to take care of home. So like, you know, in all things, we, we have to be a team and if it was not for my faith, I don't know if I would, even though I had all those good intentions, I do not know if I would have had the strength of the fortitude to be able to do it. I, I'm telling you flat out, would not, would not. You know, there, thinking in the, the context of leadership, there's just so many things that you hit on in, in this conversation. Um, that just parallel, you know, some of history's greatest leaders, those, those leaders that, you know, they don't give up when, when everything just seems like it's, it's horrible and it'd just be so much easier to just, you know, go a different direction. Those those true leaders, they stay the course and they keep on pushing. And it's without fail, it's not for them. It's for the people they care about, for the people that they're leading. And it's just, I don't know. It's amazing that I, I just, uh, I feel a little disappointed in myself that this is the first conversation I'm having with, you know, a spouse of a, of a combat vet, because, I mean, I've been aware that it's gotta be tough. Mm -hmm. Just, um, I haven't made that connection until now. And I just feel very fortunate to be having this conversation with you. Uh, and, and I think it's going to inform a lot of people um, just how important that role 
um, of, you know, the family at home for those, those veterans that, you know, the, those soldiers and Marines and sailors that are mm -hmm. going over there and fighting, um, yeah. keeping it, keeping it together back home. It's, 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 a, it's so important. I mean, and, and thank you for the opportunity. I mean, many, many people don't. It's like, you know, you get that, oh, thank you so much for your service. You know, you served and your husband served and, you know, you, you smile and say, you know, thank you, you're welcome. And, and a lot of people, it, it's, it's like, oh, that's the least you can do because they're doing that. It's like, you have no idea. <laughs> You know, you have no idea um, what it's like <clears throat> to be in those shoes. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, as a firefighter, only the spouse of a firefighter knows just how intense it is. You know, little kids and, 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 and adults that like to chase danger or the sirens, they're just excited to see the fire engine going. Your spouse is not excited at all because fire is not a toy it's a dangerous instrument and you're going to save the life of people but in that you, you it just might cost you your life military service members are generally going to liberate people who are living under some crazy oppression but in liberating those people the cost isn't just financial the cost is someone's life to go save the lives of others. And so that's what active duty service members, reservists, National Guards, uh, Coast Guard, that's, I mean, I don't think Coast Guard uh, families get enough recognition for what they do because they keep us, they keep our borders safe. And there's a lot of things out there trying to infiltrate our borders and they're on the job, but their job might cost them their life. And their spouses are dealing with that while yet maintaining and running a home and a, and a family. You know, the last thing you want is your your significant other to get an email if they happen to get an email and say the house is in foreclosure. You don't want that to happen, so you want to you know you want to run things. And for National Guard and reservists, that that was a reality because. If in my natural, if I'm in my regular life, I'm making two to 300 K a year and I got called up on active duty and I've just been dropped to 75 to 85 K. That's a stress, but that spouse is having to manage that and finagle that because that service member can't do it. They're gone. And oh yeah, I've got all of these creditors over here and I'm scared for him over there. So I'm trying my best not to worry him by telling him that these things are happening on this side. And then when the inevitable happens that they find out. And so it's just, it's so many different nuances that um, spouses don't get to share their story enough because I mean, you're not alone in, in most people just don't think about it. You get the, you know, the niceties in those moments and they just keep going. But that's really why I do what I do as a speaker. My, my primary uh, tar passion 
I won't call them a target audience, but my, my primary passion are other military spouses. Um, because being wrapped up in that lifestyle, often you lose your identity because you are now identified by your sponsor. And then if you have children, now you're identified by your children. You know, for me, you know, I was either Dario Devante, Denise, David, or Marquez's mom, or depending on what rank my husband was at the time, you know, Sergeant Monley's wife, you know, the top's wife, something to that effect. But never was I Laquita to the point where, okay, who is Laquita? And there's so many women, whether their significant other is um, a military service member or just, you know, a very successful man that we're oftentimes lost in his, and in, in we lose that identity. And not that the, the man does it on purpose. It's just the way society operates. And so my, my passion is to help um, spouses identify who they are and whose they are and help them map out a roadmap to pursue their purpose with a passion show them the leader, help them see and identify the leader that lives on the inside of her and grow her and develop her um, in whatever endeavor that woman wants to do. She's, she'll be great at it. If she wants to be a housewife, be the best housewife you can be, but know that you are a leader. Your, your purpose on this earth is significant. If you're wanting to step out and, and, and run your own business and be an entrepreneur, you are a leader and you are well-equipped to be that leader, let's let's find and tap into that, you know. And if you're saying, okay, I want to go out and as a W two employee, I want to be, you know, a corporate individual. Whatever you want to do, um, you can do it. It's already on the inside of you. You just have to own it, believe it, and map that thing out. Cultivating and developing the leader within my client are my passion. And because I um, am a proud military spouse, I'm a proud army wife. Of course, that is my soft spot as, you know, sis, you can do it. And again, just as a military spouse, you know, there are a lot of men that are military spouses. You know, can you imagine what that man is going through and he can't protect his wife? That's a hard road. One of the first casualties for our area and, and out of our church and that incident that I told you about, um, a sister didn't make it home. Her husband was in our small group, three beautiful girls. She was a service member. He wasn't. It's like, you know, these are the stories that nobody talks about. And it's like, wow, can you imagine that? Or you're stationed overseas and you're a man and you're totally dependent on your wife to take care of everything. And nobody even recognizes the fact that you're the man of your house because you are the dependent of your, your wife. And I can't even get a job no matter how bad I want a job because there's not enough jobs for every spouse. What that does to the inner working of a man. And I do have um, a lot of, uh, a lot of my clients that are men, are military spouses or former military spouses because that's just another topic in and of itself. And in, in, in those situations, oftentimes my husband and I co-coach um, in those situations. So your, your podcast, Laquita's Toolbox, mm -hmm. 
think I've got a, a better grasp. You know, I mean, you when I think a toolbox in the context of leadership, you know, you develop these tools to better lead and, um, but I, I think that the tools that you're offering people are a little more profound than I understood when we first started this conversation. Um, and I, I'm wondering how, how often do you publish a new episode? Weekly. Okay. I'm, we're, I'm currently working out a format to where I'll be publishing two a week in, in my next upcoming season. Um, but right now I, I publish weekly and, you know, what you're saying about the podcast is absolutely, you know, my desire. It's my desire that those uh, individuals that tune into Laquita's toolbox, they will leave with tools that will empower them to grow personal growth and development as well as as an entrepreneur my life has taught me that my personal growth and development if I focus on that that is going to overflow into everything else that I do if whether I'm an entrepreneur or not whatever it is that I do if I'm growing personally I will be a much better and more effective leader uh, and, and to lead teams and to be a leader of myself because self-leadership is a thing. That's, I am my first individual that I have to lead. And self-leadership is absolutely vital um, to the growth of a leader. If I, if I can't, if I'm not good in that area, how can I possibly um, expect to be effective with leading other people if I'm not effective in, in leading myself, you know, um, and, that, and that was something, again, that came out of a, a lesson as a military spouse, me realizing that first and foremost, I have to be um, a leader of me, I have to be responsible for me growing personally and professionally. And at that time, what that looked like was I needed to be the best version of myself and knowing the ARs and the FMs that those field manuals, right? Knowing the ARs and FMs um, so that I can be effective when talking to other spouses, when talking to other family members, helping them to understand what to expect, what resources were available to them that the army had for them, depending on what situation they may have found themselves in, in a need, right? nobody could, nobody told me that that was something that I had to grow to learn. I had to possess that growth mindset. You know, I had to be courageous and confident in a lot of areas of my life. And I had to be one that was really good with time management and my own energy management, or uh, let's just put right there, uh, emotional intelligence. I had to be a good leader of me before I could begin to think to be effective outside of my house as it relates to other people. Where is the best place for, um, for people to find your podcast? I mean, I'm going to have the link in, in the show notes, but I, I want... Uh, I, so my podcast can be found on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, Google. 
Um, and it's, it's on the smaller ones, Anchor, Podbean, all of those good things. So if you, um, if you Google Laquita's Toolbox, um, you will be able to find some good hits for my podcast. Well, mostly like for for the listeners, I'll have the the link to Laquita's toolbox. I'll have uh, Laquita's link um, through the John Maxwell team website and uh, her LinkedIn profile there as well. So, you know, if you or somebody you know could benefit from listening to her show or by you know booking a, a conversation with her to to see if maybe that coaching is the kind of coaching that you need uh you'll be able to go to the show notes and and find her there um so man this has been such this went a different direction than i was expecting but man i'm so glad that it did this was so awesome (laughs) liquida thank you so much for having me i mean i i it's definitely been my pleasure um sharing my story it's something that I, I, I really love to do. Am I a John Maxwell certified speaker, coach, and trainer? Absolutely. I'm a podcaster. Yes. I've, I've co-authored in an anthology. Yep. I have a book coming out. Yep. But the thing that really defines who I am, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a grandmother. And those experiences prepared me to be the effective coach. It prepared me to be able to write in the anthology, it prepared me to be able to write my story. That's who I am. And I've learned to value those roles and value those experiences and glean from those experiences um, to help others. And that's why I want, that's why I became a coach. People helped me, people poured into me, people encouraged me, built me up. And now, you know, sitting on this side of life, my passion is to help other people in any way that I can. And that's, you know, everybody might not be able to partner with me as a coach, but my podcast is there. And I pray that it's a blessing to the people who listen to it. The blog articles that I write, social media, all that good stuff, it's there for people to utilize. And I just hope and pray that it's a blessing. And those that want to partner with me, um, don't hesitate to reach out. And I look forward to speaking with them. And thank you so much. And please uh, share, share with your husband. Um, my gratitude and, you know, uh, I know a very large part of the audience of this show is veterans and first responders that are just as grateful as me for his service and sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.